Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You might be a Republican voter in an overwhelmingly Democratic district. Yes, I feel seen, Richard. Or you might be someone who leans blue in a deep red state. In our current system, it's easy to think that your vote is thrown away. And that's one reason why turnout is so low in many elections, including primaries. Can we change the way we vote so that fewer people feel that their choice doesn't count? We look at a type of voting reform that is gradually gaining ground. And we'll give our take at the end of the show. Some of what we say might surprise you. Stick around. Uh, This interview was first recorded for How Do We Fix It earlier this year. Democracy reform, the case for ranked choice voting with Rob Ritchie. I think that allowing voters to really vote for whom they want to have to think about who their compromise choices are And for all the candidates to know that drives their behavior in ways that the winners, they learn how to talk to more voters and by doing so become more representative of them collectively. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? In our elections, the winner doesn't have to get a majority of the votes cast. It's the person who gets the most votes, even in a crowded field with four or more candidates. And critics of our current form of voting say this system is one reason why there's so much negative campaigning and low voter turnout. But there's an alternative that's gaining ground. Ranked choice voting is now being used in more than 30 cities and two states. Supporters say using it is a way to build confidence in our democracy at a time when more Americans are disillusioned with our political system. Rob Ritchie is president and CEO of Fair Vote. This nonprofit group campaigns for voting reform, especially ranked choice voting. Rob joins us from Tacoma Park, Maryland. Thanks for being on How Do We Fix It? Thank you, Jim. How does ranked choice voting work? Give us an example. It gives the voter a chance not only to just put an X next to one candidate, no matter how many candidates are running, but to say, you know what, that candidate is my first choice, but I'm looking at several other candidates and this other candidate is my second choice, another candidate is your third choice. That's a ranked choice as opposed to the typical single choice ballot. So in other words, you rank your preferences 
And the first place candidate doesn't actually win until he or she gets more than 50% of the votes. Correct. But when you're electing one person, like for mayor of New York or the Virginia Republicans used it to nominate their uh, nominee for, for governor, Glenn Youngkin. Um, and in those contests, you know, no one won a majority of the first choices. So those were the votes. You count them up in the first round. And in both instances, uh, you know, about two thirds of voters voted for someone else than the candidate who wasn't first. So you say, okay, well, the candidate in last place, sorry, you're in last, you're out. And then those person's ballots, you examine them, you move them to your second choice. And so you have one fewer candidate, same number of votes counting. And as you keep going, you sort of rinse and repeat, you get to a point where a candidate surpasses 50% of the vote. And at that point, if they have more than half the votes, then they have one, they are, they're the most representative candidate. When you get down to two, you always have a head-to-head -head sort of what's called an instant runoff. So sometimes this system has been called instant runoff voting. And what's cool about it is is that this is a nonpartisan reform, and support for ranked choice voting is growing in in both parties, right? Correct. And it's you know it's actually in Robert's Rules of Order, right? It's used in a lot of just private organizations, uh, lots and lots of associations. We're up to about I know hundred colleges and universities use it. In the United States, it's moving in Utah, very bipartisan support, and Virginia with bipartisan support. You know, it's not always winning with bipartisan support, but collectively, we are seeing that all over the country. And for an idea that was once kind of the province of wonky, good government types, it seems that there are quite a few locales around the country that are are giving it a shot. You mentioned Virginia and Utah, also the New York mayoral race. Where else are people trying to implement some version of ranked choice voting? The biggest elections are in Maine and Alaska. They've adopted it for their presidential elections and for their U.S. Senate, U.S. House, all their primary elections in Maine, like for governor and state legislature and Congress. Then we're up to more than 50 cities um, have adopted ranked choice voting. We keep seeing that number growing pretty, pretty quickly. Um, we had 32 elections using it last November and two years before in kind of the same cycle it was only about 11. Now, there's that old expression. I used to be editor of Popular Mechanics, so this came up a lot. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. What's broke about our current system? Why do you think it needs fixing? It's different. So, so I'll say when you have like a general election, Maine has this whole history of independents and third parties doing quite well. Um, and when they adopted it, they, their last three governors had all won one of their elections with less than 40%, meaning that 60% had voted for someone else. And it really created this conversation like, huh, well, maybe not the right, the right candidate winning. And you can kind of march through each adoption and find something that they were fixing, whether it's an expensive runoff election, low turnout, unnecessary you know, primary elections. Many voters are disinterested in politics already, not just disgusted, but, but disinterested. Is this system more complicated or confusing than a simple X next to one person's name? What we're seeing in this, it kind of resonates with me, is that it's actually exciting. It's like more interesting to have this opportunity. One, you're not being required to rank, right? So you can just go in and vote for one just as you always have before. You're given a new opportunity to provide additional indications of what you think. And that, in fact, can be liberating. Like think back to any, like some of these big presidential fields that have been there, like the Republicans had so many candidates in 2016, Democrats in 2020, and you have this only one vote and people are like angsting over 
how, what, how do I best use that one vote? And with ranked choice voting, you can say, well, I'll put my favorite first, my second favorite second, my third favorite third, and then, you know, I'm, I'm kind of indifferent to everyone else and I'm going to stop. Just vote the way you actually are thinking rather than, um, you know, trying to make sure you're, you're outsmarting what everyone else is doing to use your one tick uh, as, as best as you can. You wrote in a, an editorial in the Wall Street Journal a couple of years ago that regardless of how you slice the map, the vast majority of Americans will live in landslide districts where either Republicans or Democrats win by overwhelming margins. How did we get there? And why is that such a big problem in your view? It's an intense problem and an intensifying problem, I would say, one that is getting worse every cycle. And that's because we are seeing this concept of the big sort, you know, it, you know whether it's physical movement where, you know, people are are moving into Republican areas when they're Republican and Democratic areas when they're Democratic, or just the influence of your neighbors making you more likely to vote the other way, but or, or vote the same way as they do. So what you're starting to see is just, you know, more and more of the country locked into one side or the other at the same time that fewer and fewer people uh, change their vote between elections or even within the election, like splitting their ticket between president in Congress, those shaping the districts know that and they can do a very effective job kind of walling off the great majority of incumbent members of Congress from any chance of change. And so the idea of the people's house, the idea of being able to vote for whom you want and to get what you want from that um, is, you know, the consent of the governed, I, I think, is really challenged by that notion. Rob, fair vote the group that you lead not only supports ranked choice voting, but you also back the establishment of congressional districts with multiple representatives. How would that work? It's actually very common in our history. So we have, over time, have often not had single member districts for legislative elections. The single member district is where just one person represents an area, right? A multi-member district is oh, it's bigger, and then you have more than one representative. Most localities actually have multi-member districts. I live in Maryland, and I have a three-member House district for our state legislature, and over 40 states as recently as the 1950s had multi-member districts. So that would be a second change, right? You got ranked choice voting, and then you got multi-member districts where more than one person represents you. And then you put those together, ranked choice voting and multi-member districts, and you change winner-take-all to what's called a proportional system, meaning that like-minded voters can elect candidates in proportion to their voting strength. Um, and so you reliably get the left, center, and right represented. The majority wins the majority of seats. They just don't win all. And you, at the end of the day, have you know, 80, 90% of voters actually helping elect someone to represent them. So, Rob, you argue that by having a lot more competitive districts, Congress itself would be changed. Let's take an example of how that might work. Uh, I live in Connecticut, which has five members of Congress. All are Democrats. Under the system you're advocating, there might be a couple of Republicans in my state and then, say, more Democrats in deep red states. Yeah, because uh, about you know 40% of the state is Republican, so they'd have a real fighting chance to win two seats. And there'd also be ongoing choice within the parties that would be an opportunity for people to you know, clarify what kind of Democrat they are or what kind of Republican they are, or to think outside the two parties. Um, 
And what that means for representation is that if I'm a constituent of members of Congress, I now have someone of the Republican Party and someone of the Democratic Party who actually has an interest in what my community is getting and doing from Congress. And they together actually serve those people together. So they have a different interest to collaborate, at least on some things that might affect the district. Your organization, Fair Vote, was founded 30 years ago, campaigning for ranked choice voting and proportional representation. That's a long time. When we started back in 92, there seemed a lot to fix in our politics. But when I look at what's changed since 92, it really has got dramatically worse in some key metrics. But here's one. Back then, about one in four House members represented a district that the other party's presidential candidate had actually carried in the district, right? So you had these split tickets where you would have, like in my part of Maryland, we had a a moderate to liberal Republican. Connie Morella represented this area. You had a lot of Southern Democrats representing areas that Republican presidential candidates were winning and so on, kind of around the country. So you had people who were showing nuance in their votes, right? And now you will see almost none of that, right? It's down to, I don't know, about 10 members of Congress, literally, who represent a, a constituency that the other presidential nominee carried. So we're, we're really in this winner-take-all environment. It's incredibly tense, and, it's, and the stakes seem very high. And every cycle, it's getting worse. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We're speaking with Rob Ritchie of Fair Vote. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Now back to our interview. Rob, do you think it's inevitable that if ranked choice voting was adopted nationwide, that there'd be more success for moderate candidates. I I don't want to paint this with a single brush. We're getting a lot of interest in using it in cities that are nonpartisan elections. Most of the uses are our cities. And there are 
often like a more efficient, like faster, cheaper, better. Let's get this in one election rather than two. In other words, there, there don't have to be runoffs on different dates. There don't have to be runoffs or in Utah, the system that other cities that don't have ranked choice voting, there's a bunch of cities now that in use it, 23 have signed up to use it in, in Utah just in the last couple of years. The cities that don't have like an August primary and then a November general election, all in a nonpartisan framework. And and a lot of the argument for those wanting to go to ranked choice voting is like, let's just have one election in November. That'll be quicker and and we can have all the choice when when more of us vote. Um, then you have these in Maine where, where it, it really does deal with the quote unquote spoiler problem of third parties like libertarians or greens or independents. And you those candidates can compete. They can run. They won't split the vote and kind of change the outcome. And so that invites people in. If you combine it with multi-member districts, then you're suddenly getting to a point where you reliably elect the left, center, and right of every given area. So yes, you'll you'll get more moderates, but you'll also you know you'll 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 get authentic people from from the bases of both parties also winning, um, but not out of proportion. Right now, they tend to they tend to get represented a little out of proportion, and and that that kind of factionalism is the root of a lot of the problems that we're having versus what I would call like a positive factionalism, which is kind of a more nuanced representation of the left center and right. Hand in hand with this problem that most people live in districts that are pretty solidly either Republican or Democratic goes the problem that most members of Congress are in pretty safe seats. If all of a sudden we are changing the way the districts are are delineated. I can imagine that for a member of Congress, this sounds really risky. Isn't that a big hurdle to getting uh, something like this through on a national level? I think that ranked choice voting as passed in Maine, Alaska, and a lot of these cities is one where you just need to have straightforward conversations with elected officials where you calm down their concerns and say, look, this does give voters more power. It, it means you you do uh, have reasons to talk to more voters, but you're good at that. Like, that's why you're in office. You know, you're you're able to win with a fair system. And I we, we have found that 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 incumbents can learn to appreciate ranked choice voting and support it. I, I think the multi-member districts combined with ranked choice voting, while a challenge is addressing the heart of what's broken in Washington in a way that is affecting everyone who tries to operate in Washington. And what we're finding is that members, thoughtful members, and I think this can grow into kind of a, a bigger group of change makers who realize that sometimes you have to do what's right for the country to do what's right for yourself. Um, and we've seen this in our history, right? Women's suffrage doubled the size of the electorate and men passed it. And there are times when Things that can be a little scary get done when there's a certain momentum and reason for change. Do you think that part of that momentum and reason for change is rising polarization and a sense that democracy in America really is threatened? I'm afraid that is exactly the case, right? And that's a real concern. Um, and I actually don't have a reassuring message that things are about to get better. I don't think they are until we really tackle the root cause of what's going on. And I think the root cause is winner take all single choice elections that have created incentives as manipulated by 
politicians and their consultants who have learned how to win under the current rules and the current rules drive the behavior. And I think that uh, we're in a very dangerous cycle right now. You've said, and it's kind of a general argument for ranked choice voting, that it will lead to more moderate kind of compromise candidates in general. Harvey Mansfield, a professor of government at Harvard, has an interesting argument that actually states something like the opposite. If I'm reading him correctly, he says that it rewards extremism in the electorate. I think his idea is that if somebody has more radical ideology, it gives them a chance to vote for their more radical candidate as their first choice, and then maybe a more acceptable candidate as a second choice. So on the level of an individual voter, it doesn't really encourage them to, to moderate their viewpoint and think about voting for somebody who's generally appealing, but to actually want to make a statement in favor of this more radical position. How do you respond to that argument? I think that allowing voters to really vote for whom they want to have to think about who their compromise choices are and for all the candidates to know that drives their behavior in ways that the winners, they learn how to talk to more voters and by doing so become more representative of them collectively. What we're seeing in you know the winner take all forms of ranked choice voting, like these mayoral races, is that candidates are not just winning in the final head to head, you know, 52 to 48, but they are also getting second and third choices from a lot of the people that voted for the candidate with 48%, right? The winner actually ends up being ranked first, second, or third by, you know, 65, 70% of people. That kind of consensus building just encourages representatives to, to think about more people. We've spent a good portion of this podcast explaining how ranked choice voting would work. How do you respond to critics who say, man, it's just too complicated? It's great to see evidence from the field to challenge that concern. New York City, you know, big city, um, mosaic of voters from, you know, many, many countries of origin of, of first generation Americans and the middle of COVID and far more people voting in a primary election than it happened in, 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 in a generation. And 90% of them in their very first time with ranked choice voting chose to use more than one ranking. More than 70% told exit pollsters that they found that really easy to do. Virginia Republicans, first time use of it in a statewide election or you know, the, you know, in their statewide contest, went very smoothly. Rob Ritchie of Fair Vote, thank you very much for joining us on How Do We Fix It? Thank you, Richard and Jim. It's a great conversation. Yeah, thanks. Now, Richard, you have a recommendation this week that is tied into this concept of democracy and voting reform, right? Yeah, my recommendation is a little bit unusual this time, but it does have a lot to do with what we've just been discussing. It's the Midterm Elections Voter Participation Guide. Now, this is a single web page that's been put out by a democracy reform group called Citizen Connect. The guide has four simple actions that all of us can take to defend our rights as free citizens as the midterm elections approach. We can all register to vote, then actually vote on Election Day, which is just over two months from now, volunteer as election workers at polling sites, and help get out the vote. 
you can find the midterm elections participation guide at citizenconnect.us. If you have a friend or a family member who moved away from the district or who might not vote without a friendly nudge, then this nonpartisan guide may help. We have a link to it at our How Do We Fix It podcast show page. Again, you can also find it at citizenconnect.us. And now our conversation. So, Jim, are you are you a fan of ranked choice voting, or do you have some reservations? Well, you know as me, you so often do, Mister, Mister. <laughs> well, actually, it was really interesting to listen to Rob Ritchie's case for ranked choice voting, which is very persuasive. Uh, there are some drawbacks, partly, I think, in a world w- with limited trust. Ranked choice voting is presented as a way to build trust. And I think it could do that in the long run. I'm afraid in the short run, people might be like, I don't get it. It's so confusing. What are they doing? They're they're messing around with my vote. If you understand how it works, you wouldn't think that. But there's so much distrust right now that I, I'm a little bit worried. So I think that ranked choice voting should be something that we continue to roll out on a city-by-city, state-by-state basis, let people experiment, see what works. Oh, Jim, you're such an incrementalist. I you am, never, yeah. never want to do things. You never want to do things quickly. I will say this. I, generally, I'm very much in favor of ranked choice voting. I think it's a really good idea. But there's an even bigger reform that perhaps should be taken first, and that's nonpartisan primaries, where independents get a voice in in the primary system. And that system actually has saved the seat in Alaska, which is a pretty conservative state, of the moderate Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski. And without that, I think she would have been swept aside in this Trump wave on the right. And I also think there's some, some Democrats on the left who would also be challenged if there was a nonpartisan uh, primaries. You know, it's an interesting approach. And Alaska is such an outlier, kind of, you said conservative, I would say more libertarian. You know, there's a very fierce kind of independent spirit up there. I also think that while people might resist ranked choice voting for, say, presidential or congressional elections, I'd really like to see the parties adopt it for primary voting. Imagine if we'd had ranked choice voting in the Republican primaries, you know, in the 2020 election, Trump would not have been the nominee quite likely. You know, he was the most popular candidate out of an incredibly crowded field, but he was also the least popular candidate for a, a real plurality of voters. Another fundamental part on that, Jim, is that I think in several states, in 2016, in the Republican primaries, there were more than a dozen candidates to choose from. Yes. And voters got only one choice. Whereas with ranked choice voting, you could rank the candidates, which is very valuable, as you say, in in a in a race where there are multiple candidates. And and I strongly believe that there were uh, there were a large number of maybe more old school Republicans who 
would have taken any of the top four or five uh, primary candidates instead of Trump. And by by voting down, you know, by not including Trump on their lists of their their choices, that would have changed the picture dramatically. This first past the post system really favors populist or or celebrities in races that 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 have a lot of candidates. And I think the same might be true in the upcoming 2024 race, where again, if Trump enters the, the race and everybody thinks he will, he'll be almost the de facto leader, even though a large number of Republicans, not as many as I would like, would really much prefer a less flamboyant, less chaotic candidate as long as they represent, you know, the, the conservative values. Another argument in favor of ranked choice voting that we mentioned right at the top of the show is turnout. There is a group called Unite America that published a report showing that eight out of 10 members of Congress are chosen by about 10 percent of the voters because of the party primary system and also because of the lack of ranked choice voting. So this whole issue is being put on the ballot in Nevada, where both the Democratic governor and both U.S. senators who are Democrats are against the changes. A court had to rule in favor of the reforms being allowed to be decided by the voters on the ballot this fall. So that'll be that'll be interesting to see what happens in Nevada. Yeah, another case of a ballot initiative, the subject of a, a recent sh- a show of ours. But it's no surprise that incumbents like the system that put them in power and keeps them in power. And also in Hawaii, the governor has just signed a bill to use ranked choice voting in county and congressional elections. So maybe we've got the beginnings of a trend here. Another sign of progress. Happy to end on a positive note. And this is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies. This show is a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts in the mostly in the bridging space. Uh, find out more. So let me interrupt you, Richard. What is the bridging space? Bridging is pushing back against political extremes and encouraging people to listen to different points of view and, and have uh, a broader circle of opinion when they when they think about how to deal with issues and and face problems that that we're all dealing with and we're part of that and we've been part of that i think even before this movement had a name how do we fix it was very much in favor of this idea that we should listen to opinions that we might not have sought out otherwise and that we should learn the skills and the attitudes that help us converse more openly across partisan divides and in this very uh, divided time i think it's something we all need yeah that's for sure and uh, our producer, <laughs> let's n- never forget our producer. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.